Okay, Nick. It is approximately three months to the day from the heist, uh, from your successful burglary of the Monaki estate and then subsequent re-burglary of Lapany Lou's uh, corner and your bold decision to turn yourself into police custody. I don't think that the last three months have been particularly kind to young Nick, but I don't think that they've been nearly as harsh as they could have been either. You turned yourself in to the homeowner, to, to Mr. UC Minaki, as well as to his gardener, Nathan, and an older officer, Jenny, that you had previously met. You gave them your complete story. Uh, although, actually, I suppose a really good question. Did Nick withhold literally anything, or did he tell them the entire, entire story, including naming names? I would have told them everything. This is one of those moves that you, you don't go in halvesies. Right? I, I laid it all on the table by showing up. There's no point in screwing myself by, like, not giving information and, you know, then everything being, like, a total waste. Did you name Annie and Sakamoto? Yeah, I think I would have. A lot of times, like, questions come up where you can tell somebody something or tell somebody a story and not, like incidentally lie about it like if they asked did you know these people not before this not really like these are the handles that they went by like i don't know if they're accurate but yeah i don't i don't see any point in in trying to shield any of this because i'm trying to get myself out of it and i've already put myself in a great deal of danger doing so if i want any sort of protection or help i think i gotta be honest as shitty as that is Okay, so you did the thing then. When you turned yourself in, you gave the complete and entire story. You clued the police into the existence of Lopany Lou's underground corner. You clued them into the fact that your partners in crime were young Sakamoto and young Annie. Although I don't think you were able to give them much information beyond that, uh, as I don't think Sakamoto ever even told you his first name, uh, and Annie is literally a hobo. So... <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that's something that definitely would have occurred to Nick, too, right? What's the risk-to-reward ratio? Like, they've seen both of them. Like, the Jenny knows what they look like. They know what Pokemon they have around with them. But I don't know Sakamoto's first name. He never told me, and Annie is a hobo. So, I think that in the weeks immediately following Nick turning himself in, I mean, first of all, obviously, Nick was taken into police custody. Sure. I don't think that the police force in Celadon at large is necessarily taking Nick particularly seriously. Uh, I think that the upper brass is kind of just brushing this off as a young hoodlum who got in over his head and is telling tall tales, trying to get himself out of trouble. But the older Jenny, who has since introduced herself formally to you, her name is actually Andrea Jenny. She goes by Andy to her friends. She is taking you very seriously. For for better or worse, she believes you fully, and she is concerned. It has used up a considerable amount of her pull. She had to call do a number of favors that she had accumulated over her long years of police service, but she has managed to grant you uh, anonymity within the jailhouse. You are in solitary confinement. No one knows that you are there. 
as far as the general prisoner population and even the police force as a whole is concerned, you were transferred out of Celadon immediately, uh, when in fact you've been right here in the Celadon jailhouse since your arrest. I also think that at Andy Jenny's behest, you have been allowed to keep Desperado and Peridot with you, mostly because what trouble are you really going to get into in a jail cell? And also, Peridot particularly became incredibly aggressive when they tried to separate you. So out of convenience as much as leniency, they have allowed you to keep contact with your Pokemon as you have been locked up. You've had frequent visits from both Nathan the Gardener and Miss Andy Jenny during your time of incarceration. I think at first Nick was probably more than a little confused that Nathan keeps turning up to visit him, but Nathan just sits with you and talks with you about the city and about his day-to-day life and about everything else. And it becomes clear to Nick after a while that it seems as though... As disappointed as Nathan initially was when he realized that he had been had and that you were, in fact, nefarious ne'er-do-wells who who were making off with what would amount to his livelihood, essentially, when push comes to shove, I I think that he's incredibly proud of your decision to walk away from that life, and he wants to support you in that in any way he can, and right now, that's by just spending time. Uh, And he's been doing that pretty liberally. I'd say probably once to twice a week. He comes around and he sits with you for an hour and just chats. Sometimes he comes alone. Sometimes his Farfetch'd comes. And his (laughs) Farfetch'd has not warmed to you in the fucking slightest. Uh, It just glares at you and watches you like a hawk the entire time it's in your presence. Well, good. Andy, however, I think has made a a much bigger point of keeping you abreast of the goings-on in the city. Again, she's... She's very firmly in your corner as far as believing the threat that the newly reformed rockets are posing to your city and their methods of attack. You do know that in the weeks immediately following you turning yourself in, there was a raid on Lopinilu's deli. However, they found nothing. They found no entrance to any subterranean lair, and it's not clear whether that's because Lou knew you were coming and managed to hide all the evidence, or if it's because there are officers on the take who just willingly lied. But regardless, Lou has been thoroughly absolved, and you and Andy Jenny both have taken quite the blow of perception within the police force, uh, something that she's shouldering with a fair bit of grace, although it's clearly frustrating her. Yeah, that's not great. But she also, I think, visits you pretty frequently. I'd say probably not daily, but maybe every other day, just when she's on her way in and out of the station and the jailhouse next door. Um, she'll stop in maybe in the morning when her shift's ending with a cup of coffee and just kind of sit and talk to you. And you come to know her and you come to know that, again, she's been an officer in Celadon for a long long time uh, and she hasn't always had kind of the glamorous patrol of the the rich neighborhoods in fact she's actually lost that patrol since she's lost a fair amount of pull within the station and is back to patrolling the slums uh, but honestly she kind of prefers it there that's that's where she's at home that's where she's always been at home and she remembers when the rockets were in town initially she was a young officer in those days and as she's proud to tell you she was one of the very few in Celadon who was not on the take that she was 
not the best cop, but that she was always a good cop. And that's a, a clear point of pride for her. Okay. So, where we catch up with Nick, it has been, again, approximately three months, uh, and this has been his routine. Solitary confinement, near daily visits from Nathan or Andy Jenny or both, and just passing the time. You know, tossing a small rubber ball back and forth across his cell and watching Desperado chase it with his very stubby cactus legs. (laughs) (laughs) You don't know what they've done to your jail cell, but Peridot cannot get out of it. She is equally locked in there as you are, and she is not appreciative of that fact. You've never known her to be claustrophobic, but she's also never been in a space that she couldn't escape before. And while you're able to, you know, calm her and soothe each other, she's definitely much more agitated than you've normally seen her, frequently pacing and just kind of grumbling to herself, Sableye, Sableye, Sableye. She she does not like feeling caged. Yeah, me either, girl. So on this particular day, the guard on duty comes and, and raps on your door. It is between mealtimes, and she kind of gives you the familiar call of, of, Hey, Nick, you've got a visitor. And so you you come out of your cell, and you would most certainly be expecting, I think, Nathan. Because uh, I think that when Andy visits you, she probably does so directly at your cell. She's a police mm-hmm. officer. She doesn't need to make special accommodations to come talk to you. Sure. But you come down the hall to the visitor's chamber, and... The old gardener, Nathan, is there waiting, but he's not alone. There are actually two other men with him. One of them you recognize immediately as Yusin Minaki. He is wearing his trademark bright purple suit, his enormous red bow tie, his white satin gloves, and... His face isn't nearly as hard as it was the last time you saw him. He's had uh, some time to get over the the wrong that you have done to him and his household. And while he's certainly not showing you the warmth that you've seen from from Nathan in these past months, he's no longer openly hostile towards you either. The other man in the room is a total stranger. He is wearing what looks like it could be... A uniform of some sort, maybe even a law enforcement uniform, but it's totally foreign to the police uniforms that you're familiar with here in Celadon that you've only grown more familiar with over the last several months. Mm -hmm. It is all in black. His hair is stark white. He has deep bags under his eyes and he stands at a slouch. And while everything about this man externally from his his body language, his wrinkled clothing, belies sloth and and laziness and and lack of attention to detail, his eyes belie that because they are sharp and they are piercing. And you can tell that he is just immediately summing you up upon first glance. Okay. How far am I away from them? And or am I being escorted over by the guard right now? So it's it's a, it's about a 10-foot square room. You were escorted to the door, let in, and the door was closed behind you. So, I mean, you're just standing there. There is a, a large table in the center of the room with sufficient chairs to seat all of you. I think Nathan is seated at this point in his conventional spot. The other two are probably still standing. Okay. Uh, is it morning or afternoon, or do I just not know because I've been in a cell all day? I mean, at this point, I think that Nick tracks the passage of time through the meals, essentially, that he's brought, and it is between your breakfast and lunch, so probably late morning. 
Okay. I'm going to head over to where Nathan is sitting and I'm going to greet all of them. I'm going to look at Nathan and go, morning, Nathan. And then I'm going to look at Mr. Eusene and go, sir. And then the stranger I don't know and just kind of bow in deference slightly because I don't know who he is and say, good morning to you too, sir. Okay. I mean, Nathan's going to gonna motion for you to sit and... He's clearly pleased with himself. You, you've come to know in the time that you've you've been communicating that Nathan is not really the type of man for like overt emotional gestures. He doesn't show his emotions really on his sleeves. But there is definitely the, the corners of his mouth are turned up in a slight smile, and he seems utterly relaxed. So he is clearly in a in a very good mood. He does have his far-fetched with him, who is actually standing over by the door, refusing to come any closer to you. Uh, and once, <laughs> w- once again, he makes like the little finger feathers and points them in his eyes and back at you and back at his eyes and just watches you. Someday we'll be friends. That's out of game. Someday. Fetched. Far-fetched. So as you sit, uh, I think that Nathan's going to smile a little bit more broadly and be like, Young Tom. uh it's it's nicholas actually well first impressions are hard to shake and you introduced yourself to me as tom and so tom you remain (laughs) fair enough (laughs) young tom how would you like to get out of here i mean is that a rhetorical question i don't mean any uh, offense but you know Throwing a tennis ball at the wall all day is uh, well, it's kind of kind of boring, but I kind of signed up for it, so like it's fine. But interesting would be better. And he's gonna smile and he's gonna nod and he's gonna say, "It's not lost on me what you've done, Nick, and what you've given up. I know that to the people in charge around here, you're seen as a little bit of a joke." But I believe you. I know enough. I have seen enough in my life to believe everything that you've said. And that only tells me exactly how dangerous what you've done was. And you did it anyway because it was right. You've made some mistakes. You've done some bad things in your young life. But in the moment where it mattered the most... You gave up everything to do what was right. And that's not lost on everyone here. And I think with that, he's going to sit back and he is going to gesture kindly over to his boss, to to Mr. Yusin Minaki, who's going to sit up a little straighter and clear his throat. And he's going to say, yes, well, Nick, at the strong urging of my dear friend Nathan here, I've stuck my neck out for you a little bit. That probably sounds a little strange. You you broke into my home, and regardless of returning what you could of what you stole, uh, you still did me significant financial hardship. And he kind of looks at you. I'm actually going to just look at him and go, I'm sorry, sir. And, and he's going to he's gonna pat the air. And he's going to say, it's, it's water under the bridge. I just want you to understand that this is not a decision I came to easily. Understood. And he's going to continue and he's going to say, you you may or may not know this, but I am, I am a professor at the Oak Institute. I am, 
I guess you could say I'm a guest lecturer. I I like to wander. I don't stay in one place for too long. And, and so they're, they're not exactly going to offer me tenure. But I, I teach there. I, I teach all about subjects like archaeology and, and myth and legend, particularly as they pertain to uh, right here in Kanto and particularly the Johto region. I love the legends of Johto, the the beasts and, and Suicune. And Nathan's just going to kind of clear his throat a little bit because he knows. <laughs> and... <laughs> And Eusene's gonna, <clears throat> right, right, uh, of course. Um, I teach at the Oak Institute, and, you know, old Sam Oak himself retired some years back. He was already well in his age when he founded the school, it's, it's to be expected. But one of his last gifts to to the young folks is uh, the gifts of of scholarship. You know, the Oak School is a private institution. There is tuition involved. But for a small number of worthy children every year, they are able to attend the Oak School free of charge by merit of their academic achievements or their special circumstance. I have applied for you to receive such a scholarship. Now, Obviously, given your current circumstance, it doesn't come without strings. Most notably, we had to convince the the fine police department here in Celadon to be rid of you. I I try not to laugh at that. I I but I don't completely succeed because I know how much of a pain in the ass I am for them right now. And the corners of his lips are going to turn up in a slight smile as well. Like that's not lost on him. And he's going to clear his throat again. And he's going to say, but. With the help of a a very concerned Officer Jenny, who is very much in your corner, we were able to convince the Chief of Police that you are far from a career criminal and could be rehabilitated in the proper setting. So they have signed off to commute your sentence to parole pending good academic behavior. And he's going to nod to the man dressed in dark clothing across the table. And he's going to say, my, my colleague here is Professor Nanu. And Nanu here, he teaches the the care and training of dark-type Pokemon within the Academy, but he has a, a pretty extensive background in law enforcement over in the islands in, in Alola. And, and before that, and as he says that, Nanu's going to clear his throat and he's going to raise an eyebrow at you seen and he's gonna stop and he's gonna go oh yes yes well i guess before that isn't really relevant here but he is a law enforcement officer by trade before he was an educator and by agreement he as long as you accept mind you this is a choice you could choose to stay here and serve out your sentence but if you choose to come to school he will be acting as your parole officer while you attend and at that, I think that Nanu's going to kind of straighten himself. He's going to draw himself up, and he's just going to look across the table at you flatly. And he's going to say, boy, I don't like troublemakers. I don't want this duty. And I only took it because there are people above me who think that we can make something of you. If you prove them wrong, I will put you back here so fast your head will spin. Do you understand me? 100%. And he's going to sit back and slouch a little bit and say, good. Then we won't have any problems. 
And Yusin's going to kind of clap his hands together. And he's going to go, yes, well then. You're you're quite a bit older, Nicholas, than the average incoming student at the Oak Academy. Uh, they usually come in at the age of 12. You are, if my records are correct, you're currently 14 years of age. Is that correct? Or, or did you just recently have a birthday? I just recently had a birthday. Oh my my goodness! And yes, you are you are quite a bit more advanced in age than we normally bring new students in. Um, we will we'll have to test you for proficiencies, of course, and and um and place you appropriately based on your knowledge and skills. Most likely, you are going to be delayed in comparison to your peers by age. Obviously. We feel like we have a pretty good group of kids at the Oak Institute, and hopefully they won't hassle you for that too much. But at the same time, I mean, kids will be kids, and I do want to be, you know, plain here that uh, you will be quite a bit older than your classmates, most likely, and that they may be kind of cruel about that. So that's probably something that you should mentally and emotionally prepare yourself for. I'm going to look at him, and I'm going to go, I appreciate the heads up, but... If I can sit across the table from a rocket boss and her bodyguard, I'm pretty sure I can take some ribbing. And he's going to, like, chuckle a little nervously. And you actually get the impression that Yusin might not totally believe everything that you said. Like, he's going along probably more out of love and loyalty for Nathan than anything. But, but he doesn't seem to take the threat seriously as, as you invoke it. Although, uh, across the table, Nanu's eyes harden. He very clearly does. So yeah, Yusin's gonna go, well then, um, it sounds like we, we have an accord. You know, it's, it's early January, so the semester actually starts next week. So we're gonna have to move a little bit hurriedly. Nathan here has actually agreed to, well, I, I guess I should probably let you talk to him about that, Nathan. I mean, he kind of quiets down sheepishly and, and Nathan kind of smiles and clears his throat and he says, you know, Nick, I, uh, I know that your ma and your pa aren't aren't with us anymore. I know that you're as good as a man grown when it comes to taking care of yourself, but there are still, you know, forms that need signed and books that need acquired. And well, if if you're okay with it, I've offered to act as your guardian for the purposes of the school and making sure that you're you're cared for. Uh, is that is that agreeable for you? Nick is floored. Like he's he's stunned to silence. It's his it's his turn for his mouth to be wide open. And um he he kinda stammers a bit and he goes, I yeah, I mean of course. I um he tears up a little bit and he goes, I don't I don't really know what to say. And he's just gonna reach across the table and he's gonna squeeze your hand a little bit and he's gonna say, Think nothing of it, kiddo. Okay, and, and so you seem to, yes, yes, well then, it seems like we're, we're all set then. You'll be here for just a couple more days, Nick, while we get the, the transfer arrangements taken care of. And then I and Nanu here will, will take you with us back to the school. And at this point, Nanu's gonna kinda clear his throat and he's gonna be like, you seem, you're, you're forgetting something. And he's gonna look across the table at you and he's gonna say, Nick, this isn't gonna be easy, but it's necessary. You are underage, and you are going to a school full of underage children learning about Pokemon. Yeah, I'm going to start nodding as soon as he, he says it. Nick knows what's coming. You can't come with a legally captured Pokemon. It's it's just not feasible. There's no way for us to explain that away. I know that your Pokemon are special to you. I think that we've come to an arrangement that's going to work for everyone. All right. Your Sableye 
is a dark type, and that's that's my specialty. Those are Pokemon that I am very well acquainted with their care and their upkeep and their training. As long as you're amenable, I will care for Peridot while you are in school, and I will return her to you once you graduate. I'll nod to that, and I say, yeah, that that works. So long as I get to explain it to her before I hand her over, otherwise she'll throw a fit. And he'll he'll nod to that and say, well, well enough. Now, I understand that that's not your only Pokemon. No, I, and I, do I have my Pokeballs with me? I think that as a security precaution, I think. They left them in the cell. Yeah, I think that you were required to leave them in plain view before the door would open. Yeah, that's fine. I will say then he kind of like reaches to to the spot where he would normally like have a belt when he has a belt, uh, where Desperado would normally be. And he goes, hey. He kind of forgets that he's not there, and he goes, "Yeah, I I have a cacnea from the from the garden, and um, I'm actually going to look at Nathan and go, uh, you're doing me a real solid on a lot of things, but would you mind looking after him? He's familiar with the garden and the other mon, and I don't know. I kind of feel like he'd like to be somewhere close to home, you know." And Nathan's going to break into a very genuine smile, and he's going to say, of course, of course. He's he's more than welcome. We'll take good care of him. Thanks. Okay, and I think that we can just kind of let that scene fade there. How does it go when Nick tells Peridot that they're not going to be... I mean, they'll be together. They'll be physically in the same place, but they're not going to be together all the time like they have been for the entire time they've known each other. I don't think it goes fantastic. I don't think that she's like a total pain in the ass about it. Like Paranod's a smart girl, you know, like we, we pull heists or we used to pull heists and some of the stuff we have to do is complex and she's got to think through problems with me. Like she kind of knew what we were in for. Like when we came here, the fact that she's been in this cell with me, for a while, I'm not going to say that she's happy about it. She's not. But I think if Nick explains it as, like, we're going to be in the same place. And, you know, at, at some point, things will go back to the way that they were. But we got to do this for everybody to be safe and for us to be back together that she'll get it. She won't be happy about it, but she'll get it. And she's going to know, I think the most important thing is she's going to know that this is Nick trying to take care of them, not Nick trying to force her away. Like, they've been together long enough. When we kind of touched on that in kind of the last interlude, that she she has a good sense of Nick's emotions. And I imagine that he's pretty um, he's pretty upset. You know, when he has to deliver this news and he doesn't seem any happier about it than she probably feels about it. Okay, cool. So we'll say that that day goes, you you meet with your now father figure in a weird quasi-legal way, your patron and your parole officer. Uh, and you have a lot, obviously, to digest there and to help Peridot to digest as well. And then I think later that evening, 
probably during a, a time window that you're not really used to, uh, you get a visit from Miss Andy Jenny. And she comes around. I think she comes around as Nick is probably laying on his cot, just kind of thinking things through with his eyes closed, maybe trying to find sleep but unable. And she just kind of sits down outside the cell. And she just, she sits quietly for a few minutes. I'm not even sure if Nick would necessarily be aware of her presence as preoccupied as he is before finally she goes, I want you to know that I'm proud of you, kid. Well, thanks, Andy. I don't, I don't feel real good about lots of things, as you might imagine. I think I made the right choice. Allison, that woman, she's fucking crazy. They could see it in her eyes. But, you know, sending Peridot off, that doesn't feel real good. Being in here, I can deal with that. But making her upset, it's real hard. And she's going to nod. And I think when you mention Allison, actually, I don't know if you're even looking directly at her, but her her hands tighten, and I think her nails kind of dig into her palms a little bit. You would know from your previous conversations that Andy has been utilizing all of her resources to try to figure out who this woman could possibly be, uh, and has been utterly fruitless, and that is something that has been tormenting her to absolutely no end. That This woman apparently has history. Uh, she has history with Lou, and so presumably in Celadon, but Andy can find absolutely no sign of her existence anywhere. And it is maddening to her. But she sets that aside. And she says, you know, I was so sure that you were just another no good hoodlum kid. And and you were. But you did the right thing. You You chose to throw everything away to do what's right. And... Like, I know, I know that choice. I understand that choice. I've made it a couple of times myself, and it's hard. Most cops don't make that choice. And I'm real proud of you, and I'm real happy that you're getting a chance to make good on it. And if you look at her, I think you can actually see bags under her eyes, and you can tell that she is dog, dog tired. Which, for the time of day, that doesn't make sense. She should be crawling out of bed to start her shift right now. Not in a state of exhaustion. You okay, Andy? Yeah, yeah. They just... They, they've they rotated my shift. Uh, I think I've... I think I've pissed off a few of the wrong people with all my poking and prodding. Uh, they have me doing 18 hours down in the slums now. Uh, so it, I just, I'm on my way to my bed. I just wanted to stop and see you before I went. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm sorry I caused you trouble myself and after too. Don't think about it, kid. You're fine. And I think she's actually going to slip you a piece of paper and she's going to say, this is, this is my cell. You're not under any obligation, but if you ever need anything or, or need to talk, or just want to know what the hell's going on. Just give me a call, Nick. Yeah, I will. And um, in the future, just call me Nicholas. I'm leaving Nick behind. And she's going to nod. And she's going to say, well, take it easy, Nicholas. And she's going to walk away. <laughs>